Are you guys, were you guys in the worship with me? I mean, come on. God is good. And we have a God who forgives our iniquity, our rebellion, and our sin, who draws us to himself through the blood of Jesus Christ, and he calls us his children, his sons and his daughters. If that is you, that is worth rejoicing over. Every moment you wake up and draw that breath, God, you're so good. We have a special uh, treat today. We we, we start this week, if you follow the calendar, this week coming, Wednesday, is Ash Wednesday. And being a Baptist church, we don't do all the Lenten calendar stuff and that, but we kind of are this year. So, because uh, <laughs> I'm talking about it. Um, so come Sunday the 6th, it is, a, uh, it is the first Sunday of Lent. But what we are doing this week on our website, we will have the family devotionals. Uh, for you and your family that follow through uh, the season of Lent. You can go on there. There's things, if you have small kids, there's things for them. You can print it off at home. There's coloring things and some activities for them. Uh, and if you're thinking, well, we don't have kids, you know, that's nice that you have that. Hey, take a moment and, and check it out because there's activities for you to do as a family. It could just be you. It could be you and your spouse. It could be your whole family. But there's ways that you can celebrate and get your heart ready for Easter, which is right around the corner, making yourself ready as we celebrate the risen Christ come Easter. So six on the 6th, uh, we will be here doing that first uh, Sunday of Lent. And what we'll be looking at is another one of our pillars, uh, the relational pillar. Last week, we looked at worship. This week, we're going to look at mission. And if you just look at the state of the world, they need the Lord. We need the Lord here, but, but we don't reach the world unless we go. And we'll get to hear uh, a testimony this morning and a message uh, in just a moment from a couple of converged missionaries. They're here to share with us, um, and they, they're nearby. I don't, I don't bring missionaries in a lot because I want us to know them. I want us to build relationships. I want us to have an opportunity to really be able to invest if the Lord would lead you to do that, not just financially, but actually with your very lives. And so when Will comes in a moment and introduces his, his family and Katie and that, you'll get a chance to know them. And, and they're, I'll put local in quotes, but they're within a drive and they can get here. And so when they're around, I'm hoping to see them a lot more. But let me share this out of Romans chapter 10. It's, it's a verse you know. And Paul is talking to the church, and he says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Did you hear that? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach 
the good news. Will, I'm going to ask you to come and share with us your, your heart and your calling. Be at liberty just to, to share with us whatever the Lord lays on your heart. Great. And at the end of your message, after you pray for us, we're going to take time and pray for you, you guys as well. So um, please be at liberty. Thank you, brother, for coming. Do you need anything? I got water for you. I'll bring I'm going to borrow this stand. Borrow a stand. I got a stand right here for you. I'll grab oh. it. Okay. Well, hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me here. Um, I know probably most of you, you didn't have a choice, so hopefully <laughs> you enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but, you yeah, know, I'm super excited to be able to be here. One of the things as my wife and I, oh, thank you. As my wife and I have um, been kind of going around, we're, we're in the, like, support raising phase of, of heading out to do missions. That way, you know, we aren't a burden to the, the church that we'll be serving with there. Um, but one of the things that's been great is just being able to travel around a bunch and go to just dozens of churches around Wisconsin. And like, it's always just such a joy to, to know, like every time we walk into a church, like even though Rob is the only person I've met before, and that was just for like an hour over breakfast, that, that like we're worshiping the same Lord, that we're family, that, that we are brothers and sisters. And, and so it's just, it's a joy to, to be able to see that spread around the state and, uh, and really around the globe. Um, so thanks for, yeah, again, for, for having me here. Um, yeah, my, uh, my name's Will, um, and my wife, Katie, uh, is right over here. Um, we are, uh, yeah, Converge Missionaries. We'll, we'll be heading to the city of Birmingham in England, um, so like Birmingham, Alabama, but the original one. Um, and, and so we're going to be there uh, doing some various forms of ministry. And, and so today, as I share, kind of, I, I have sort of three, three parts. It's not going to be like a standard sermon, um, but going to share about the ministry specifically that we're going to be doing. Right, I'm going to share a little bit on like why we should do missions. Why, why should we be on mission as a church and as individuals? And then uh, lastly, going to share a bit about how God called my wife and me to uh, this specific ministry. Um, so that's sort of what's coming up. Um, but but you, might, you might wonder, as you see, we're, we're going to the United Kingdom, we're going to England. And if you're anything like I was four years ago, you might be like, man, that's a really weird place to go to. If you could hit the next slide, like, there's beautiful churches all over the country. You know, hundred, hundred some year old, uh, massive cathedral in Liverpool here it has this beautiful, rich history that the bishop that it was named after, incredible guy who, who just had such a heart for spreading the gospel. And, and so to me, I, when God was first calling us to England, I was like, God, why would you have us go there? Like, there, there's plenty of people, like C.S. Lewis and Charles Spurgeon and, like, all, all these, this rich history. It's kind of where the modern missions movement was started and birthed. And, and so I just wanted to, like, God, really? England? They don't need missionaries. Um, and uh, so if you could go to the next slide, just as a kind of example of this. So this is the same cathedral. Um, so it's up on a hill in Liverpool, overlooking just dominates the skyline. And, and so this is what people see every day as they walk about. They see this gorgeous building. I, but one of our friends is a pastor in Liverpool, and he, he was there, and he was I, getting, getting some lunch or something at a restaurant, and he was just talking to his server, you know, just kind of back and forth, you know, how's it going stuff. And, and she was like, oh, what do you do for work? And his response was, I'm a pastor. To which he said, 
pastor, what's that? And then he tried figuring out, like, how do you describe what a pastor does? Uh, and that's just a hard thing because it's a lot more than just talking for 45 minutes on Sunday. And, and so he's like, okay, what? how do I explain this? And, and eventually he just ended up saying, oh, I work at a church. And her response was, really? Which church do you clean? Be- because in her mind, these gorgeous buildings are nothing more than, than museums now. And, and so if you go to the next slide, uh, and they're gorgeous museums. Beautiful exhibits, really cool things. Uh, they, they tell the history of England just, just in their architecture and the way that they're built. But, but she didn't understand that there was anything that happened in churches anymore. She thought, oh, these, these are a great relic of the past that are beautiful and cool. But somebody who works in there, all they would have to do is clean because churches don't do anything else. They're, they're just there to be looked at. And, and so if you'll go to the next slide, uh, just couple more exhibits, and I mean gorgeous exhibits in this church. But, but for her, for so many people throughout the UK, that's what a church is. It is, it is a museum at best. And, and for some, it's gone to a next step. And, and so on the next slide here, uh, a church in Manchester, which they've converted into a rock climbing gym, which really is like brilliant use of a high lofted ceiling. But... Not its intended purpose. That, that's not why it was there. But, but there, there was just no more use in their eyes for, for having a church building. So, like, let's make something practical out of it. And, and then, at, at worst, we see all over the country, and, and we see this happening here in, in kind of major cities, but, but not quite as much in smaller areas. But we see on the next slide, churches just being turned into bars. And, and so this is a, a church in this small town in southern Wales. It's where the seminary was that I went to called Bridge End, um, the town, not the seminary name. Uh, and this is the main cath- like cathedral of the town. It, it's on the town square. It, it was the center thing that kind of the town was built around. And now it's turned into a bar. And, and if you can see it, it's named the Phoenix. And, and like, I can't help but imagine that that was intentional, that, that the people saw, oh, out of the ashes of this dead and useless building, we finally got the Christians out of it and turned it into something that the community actually wants, like a phoenix dying and rising from its ashes. And this isn't a town of like eight, ten thousand 10,000 people. Like, it, it's not just some like major city thing, it's just throughout the entire country, people have lost sight of What's the point of the church? What, what good is Christ? What, what good is it to be a Christian? And they don't have very many people to give them those answers. And so, uh, yeah, if you could go to the next slide. Um, my, my wife, myself, and, and our two kids, Judah and Azalea, we're, we're specifically going to be serving, as I said earlier, in the city of Birmingham. Uh, and it's a, like incredible city, but one that nobody would ever stop in. Like there, There's nothing for to do for tourism there. It's just one of the major train stations on the way to go to London or Liverpool or Manchester. But, but it's, a, it's a wonderful city. And just since we were singing the Revelation song, I didn't plan this, but it is such a great dis- like picture to me of heaven. See, it's, it's the most diverse city on the planet, um, at least according to one of the universities in it that did studies on it. It has 187 countries represented out of 192 um, that are on the planet. And so really it has people from every walk of life, it has almost 
every major language imaginable uh, being, being spoken there. And just as you walk around, just you bump into people from everywhere. And, and it, it makes me think of in, in Revelation uh, chapter 7, um, so right after kind of the, the lamb who sits on the throne, just, just as we sang, uh, it says, After this I looked, and before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And, and when, when I look at this city, that, that's just kind of what I imagine, because there is people from everywhere, every language, every nation, every tribe, and, and our, our desire is to see that they would all be worshiping this one God. And it's just, it's beautiful. But, but there's also a, a bunch of hardships throughout the city. Um, like everywhere else in the country, churches are, are largely dying um, and people are kind of just waiting to get those last few Christians that are hanging on out of the building so that way they can buy it and turn it into something else. But, but at the same time, specifically in our city, there's also this massive, massive rise of, uh, of Islam. Um, so if you actually skip two slides, that's just some photos around the city. But, but there's this massive rise of Islam. And, and so this is a photo it's probably about like a third of what was actually there. So imagine that same thing on both ends. Uh, and this is an Eid festival. And, and so if you're not familiar, Eid is the holiday uh, in which Muslims celebrate the end of Ramadan. After the, the end of their month of fasting, they have this giant feast. And at this one park that's about five miles away from uh, the house my wife and I were living in when we had been there previously, they, they have the largest Eid festival in Europe. And so this was a photo from the last time they were able to have it before COVID kind of ruined everything for the planet. And there was 140,000 people who, who came to this park to be able to say their prayers, to be able to celebrate the end of the month of Ramadan. 140,000 people who, who are with almost all of them with good intentions trying to seek God, with, with good hearts in, in whatever manner of good, trying to find God, but because they don't have Jesus, they're entirely missing him. Christ has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And here we have 140,000 people who are trying to come to the Father, but they don't know Christ, and so it's all useless. And so our long-term dream is to see a church planted across the street from this park, so, so that way, in this incredibly spiritually dark area where, where people are just deceived, like just, they, they don't know to, to have a difference, there, there can be a light of the gospel which is shining. And, and so that's kind of our, our dream. That's some of our, our vision. Um, we, we would love to share more about it specifically and, and how we hope to see things change and how we'll be involved um, so we'd just love if, if you guys after the service come chat to us and um, we'll be around for two more days where we're staying at the American Inn over in New Richmond. So we'd love to be able to grab dinner or lunch or, or something like that. Um, but I, I, I want to share a little bit about why 
uh, we're doing this, why we should be on mission as a church. And so it'll be from uh, 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 and kind of just jumping around throughout the Bible. Um, but, but before we do that, just kind of have to, have to answer the question, what is mission? What, what does that mean? And, and so a couple of passages, uh, and I do have slides for each one of these, so you can also read it on the screen. One of them is uh, Matthew 28, uh, verse 16, uh, or, yeah, starting in that area. And, and so this is after Jesus has rose from the dead. He spent his 40 days walking around teaching his disciples. And these are the very last things that Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark. And it says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. And then similarly, in the book of Mark, he also says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And then also, in the book of Acts, I need to see my marker disappeared. What was the path? Acts 1.8, there we go. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and ascended to heaven. And so Jesus, these are three kind of distinct different times all after Jesus rose from the dead where he tells his disciples, go, preach the gospel, share the good news, baptize, make disciples. And these are just three that are written down. So I imagine this was a thing Jesus was hammering into them after he rose from the dead. Like, Jesus, what's next? Now what do we do? You go, go out, share the gospel, make disciples, bring people to me. And it's the very last words he chooses to say before he ascends to heaven and goes and sits beside his father. So, so this is an important thing, obviously. And, and so to answer that question of like, what is mission? It, it's simply, simply this. It's that mission is about spreading the gospel and making disciples of Jesus. It's that simple. That, that is the, the call which Jesus has placed on every single one of us if we believe in him. This is the next thing that we do is we share what Christ has done in our lives. We share the gospel and we make disciples of all nations and tribes and tongues and languages. And, and so, in, in some ways, uh, Jesus is basically saying to, to this church, to, to the bridge, you will be my witnesses in Somerset, in the Twin Cities, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus has given us this mission. Your guys' is here, ours is in the UK, but it's the same mission. And, and so to, to look at some of the, like, why should we bother doing this, I'm going to be, be looking in, in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. And this is kind of bookmarked by, uh, before Paul writes this section we're going to look at, he talks about the integrity of his work, the, the integrity of how he shares the gospel, the integrity of his missions. And then he talks about the hardships of it and talks about persecution and hunger and being thrown in prison and then he talks about the work that he actually does. Of my, my work is to share the gospel. 
And then after he goes through the section of why do I do this, he, he again says, this is the work that I do. It's to share the gospel. And then he again talks about all the hardships of it, prison, persecution, hunger, etc. And then he talks about the integrity of it again. And so that's kind of what's bookmarked on it. Before and after, he basically says, the mission that we've been given has no shortcuts, has no easy way about it. It requires the utmost patience and perseverance and against, yeah, massive hardships and sorrows, insults, abuses, persecution, death. Yet amidst all of this, we speak, we persuade, we implore all people to turn to Christ. And, and the world is going to look at us as if we appear to be out of our minds crazy. But yet we persevere and we continue doing this work. And, and so why? Like, why, why do we bother with that? Knowing, knowing people might make a mockery of us. Knowing people will look at us as fools. Like why, why would we share this good news? Well, it's good news is probably the first answer. But, but particularly, the first reason that Paul gives is in... Uh, 417 of 2 Corinthians. And simply this, he he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And and so so these hardships that we might face for for genuinely trying to follow Jesus and and live in obedience to what he's called, it's going to bring hardship. There's going to be difficulties about it. But it's outweighed by an eternal glory that's coming to us and coming to those that we share the gospel with. This isn't something that we do for today. This isn't something that way, you know, you can be on stage and people have to listen to you for half an hour. It's, it's because there's an eternal weight behind it. And then further down in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 5, I, he, he says another reason why we do this is because this is God's purpose for us. He says, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And and so why do we do it? Because God made us for this purpose, to to be able to be on mission to share the good news of what his Son has done. And and this isn't just a new thing after Jesus rose from the dead. That that isn't when he started saying that we need to do these things. But, But instead, throughout all of Scripture, we see that this is God's heart. It's to reach all the world. It's to reach every nation and every people. And, and so starting with Genesis chapter 12, when, when God calls Abraham, the father of all of our faith, the beginning of that poster over there of the line of Jesus, God, God calls Abraham and he says to him that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He, it's not just the nation of Israel. It's not just Abraham's physical descendants. God says, no, 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 I'm calling you, I'm blessing you, so that way the entire world will be blessed through you. And then a little bit later, well, like a thousand years later, Isaiah prophesies about Jesus, and he says, I will make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Throughout Scripture, including the Old Testament, we see this is God's purpose, this is God's desire for us, is that we would be a blessing to the whole world and draw people to him. But, but Paul says in this section that we have the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing it. Abraham didn't have that. Abraham just had to take it on faith. He just said, okay, God, sure, you'll do this. I don't know how because I'm 99 years old and I don't have a kid yet. 
but okay, I'll trust you. But, but we have the privilege, we have the benefit, we have the Holy Spirit living within us if we trust Christ. And, and Paul says that that's a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. I, I don't own a house, so I don't actually know a bunch about this, but once you put a deposit down on a house, it's yours. There's no taking it back. There's no going to the bank and like, you know what, never mind, I don't want it. Can I just have my money back? Like, no, it, it guarantees that it is yours. And, and Paul says that the Spirit guarantees that this work is for a purpose, that, that there's an eternal weight behind it. And he continues uh, down in verse 9 on another reason why we should be on mission, and simply that it pleases God. He says, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so good news on this. It pleases Christ. Nervous news. We're going to face some form of judgment. This isn't whether you go to heaven or hell. like that, That's been dealt with by the blood of Christ. But, but we are going to have to stand before Jesus at some point, and he's going to ask, what did you do with this? I gave you this good news. I saved you. Did, did you do anything with it? And if we did, it, it pleases him. It gives him pleasure. It gives him joy. And I mean, we, we get to bring our Lord joy by sharing the gospel. We, we get to please Christ. But last and, and above all these other things, the reason why we should be on mission is in verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. That's why. It's not ultimately because we're going to be judged. It's not because we're afraid that Jesus is going to say, you're a disappointment or something like that. Like, it's because Christ's love compels us. If we truly understand what he has done for us, the, the love that he has for us, how could we do anything else but go out and try to share that with other people so that they might experience it as well? And so why bother with missions? Why do this? Why, why do we walk around and parade ourselves in front of people and pretty much beg them for money, it feels, at times? Because Christ's love compels us. Why, why do we desire to go to this group of 140,000 people who, who might be a little bit hostile if we move in and start talking about Jesus a bunch? Because Christ's love compels us. It, and so that's why mission. It, it's not, not ultimately about commands. It's not about any of that. It's, it's about the love of Christ leading us to go and do it. And so, as I said, I would share a little bit about what we'll be doing, share a little bit about why we should all be on missions. And it's for those four reasons. Eternal glory is at stake. It's God's purpose for us. It pleases him. And Jesus' love compels us to. Right, but, but to share a little bit about kind of our own calling to go to Birmingham. Um, this is always a large question for people. Like, oh, how did you know like, God called you there? And, and we all wonder as we're growing up, like, what does God want me to do for a job? And, you know, what am I called to? That sort of stuff. And, and so I uh, just want to share a little bit of, of our stories and and so first, uh, I, I became a believer when I was 17 years old. I came out of drug addiction and all kinds of hardships, and, and I was just really a terrible person, um, kind of through, through a lot of that, harmed a lot of people. 
Um, and, and just one day, like, the Spirit of God just, just revealed to me. I, I started going to a church, and, and he just made it so clear, like, who Jesus is, the fact that he died and rose again. And, and for the first time in my life, I, I felt this love, just overwhelming, weeping, couldn't control it, be, because I felt loved by somebody for the first time and understood, like, it was God who loved me. And so kind of with that, like, it's like, all right, I need to change everything about my life. Like, I, I'm going to do everything I can to serve this God that I've just met. And, and so I got connected with all sorts of stuff. But, but there's this one passage which always stood out to me a bunch uh, very early in my faith. And, and so it comes at this point where, where there's a uh, kind of, my Bible translation refers to as a sinful woman, a, a woman of ill repute, a woman who was known for the bad things she was doing. Uh, and, and she comes while Jesus is eating with some Pharisees, and she bows down, and, and she, she starts kissing his feet and, and just worshiping him. And, and the Pharisees kind of sit there and they're like, man, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know who this lady is, and he wouldn't let her touch him. And, and so Jesus responds by telling this story about Let's suppose there's two people who owed someone money. One of them owes mm, $50, let's say. The other one owes $5,000. And this man comes up to both of them and says, don't worry, your debt's forgiven, you don't have to pay me back. And so Jesus asked the Pharisees, okay, if that happened, who's going to love that person more? And they respond, they go, I, I suppose the one who had the larger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, you're correct. And then speaking of the woman, he says, I tell you, because of her many, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And this idea, as I was an early believer, that he who has been forgiven much loves much. He who has been forgiven little loves little just stood out to me because I, I was aware of how much I had been forgiven. And we've all been forgiven these immensely great lengths. And, and just knowing that should draw us to love. It, it should draw us to the fact that Christ's love compels us. And, and so I, I, I need to tell people about this. Like, I've been forgiven all these things. And, and so I, I ended up going to Poland for a summer um, and didn't know any Polish. Um, was in a small town there. But, but serving with a guy who uh, came to Christ out of Buddhism, and um, like him coming to Christ cost him so much. His, his mom, when he told her, I'm, I'm a born-again believer, slapped him and punched him in the face multiple times because she saw that as a betrayal of the Polish people because he wasn't Catholic. She was fine with him being Buddhist, but becoming an actual believer, that was too far. And... And so he is just a man who's committed to the gospel, to, to sharing it with people. He's given up everything. He's lost family because of it. He's lost, like, successful career. The dude has, like, two master's degrees and, and instead serves as a PE teacher and a practically free, like, karate training coach because those are opportunities for him to share the gospel with kids. He, when, when I went there with one other friend, he gave up his house and moved in with his in-laws like three weeks after his wife gave birth. And, and they said, nope, nope, you guys are here. Take our home. We'll go sleep on an air mattress in my in-laws' living room. Be, because they saw us being there as, no, this is valuable. 
Like, we need more people sharing the gospel here, so we will give you everything. And, and I, I remember having this very specific thing where I'm just like, man, he's, he's desperate for the gospel. Why aren't I? Like, there, there's nothing different between the spiritual state of those who don't know Jesus in Poland and those who don't know Jesus in Gilbert, Arizona, where I was living. Why am I not desperate for people to know him? And that was kind of the beginning of some of my call into doing foreign missions. And, and for, for Katie, uh, she, she's been a believer pretty much her entire life, grew up in a phenomenal Christian home, and um, parents were great witnesses to that. But, but while we were in Bible college, uh, she, she just had this feeling um, during a missions conference that we had at our school every year of, of God basically just saying, like, if I told you to go, would you? And the answer to that has to be yes. Like, you, you can't just tell God, like, nah, I'm fine. Uh, and, and he just kind of kept prying on her. Like, if I told you to go, would you? If I told you to go, would you? Like, okay, yes, of course I would. Like, okay, go. What? Like, where? Okay, and, and so she was kind of thinking, like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll do Europe. I was like, what if you went a little bit further east? Like, okay, we'll do Eastern Europe. Okay, well, what if you went a little bit further east? And, and she ended up being in Jordan uh, for, for a summer. And, and just while she was there, she, she just met incredible people who, who were just doing great work there. And, but the thing is, like, it's not, like, massive explosion evangelism or anything like that. Like, it's not thousands of people coming to know Jesus. It's, it's people planting seeds, doing long, faithful work. And, and, and so for Katie, one of the passages that have just stuck out to her immensely is from Hebrews 11. And, and so if you're familiar with this, pat, with this section, there's kind of this moment where, where Paul talks about all these heroes of the faith who have done these great things by faith. And says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And later in that same chapter, he says again, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. And so this was the heritage of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and all of these prophets of old. They never got to see the things that God had promised through them. Moses got to look at the promised land one time and then died. But they are blessed because they followed God in those ways, because they recognize, no, this earth is not my home. There is another country. There's a heavenly country prepared for me. Man, if we would live that same way, imagine the things that God would do through us. And so for... For us, after we got married, like, okay, how, how the UK, and I know it's probably getting close to time, so I'll uh, be quick for the next service, but, but we're like, okay, so how, how are we, what are we going to do? Where are we going to serve? And, and we had kind of this very much picture of, a, if you're familiar with Isaiah when he's called, he has this moment where he's standing before God in his throne room, and, and God just simply says, like, who, who will go from us? Who will we send? And Isaiah, before he hears like, what his mission is, before he hears what he's going to do, he says, here am I, send me. And we kind of had that approach. We're like, all right, God, we're, we're up to do whatever, but we don't know where you would have us. And through just a bunch of 
circumstances. Like, we, we ended up with the UK. And we're like, God, the UK? Like, again, just like, they don't need missionaries. Send us somewhere cool. Send us somewhere exciting. Not England. Um, but it was just next step. We just took one step at a time, just following God. And, and kind of a similar thing with Abraham. When, when God first calls Abraham, he just simply says, go to this land which I will show you. Doesn't tell Abraham what he's going to have him do at first. Doesn't tell him all this stuff. He just simply says, nope, go to the place I'm going to show you. Just take this next step of obedience. Do this next thing that I've called you to. And that's what it was for us. And ultimately it ended with Birmingham, England. And, and when we got there, we learned uh, that, that the elders of the church we were partnering with had been praying at 9.37 every morning, Matthew 9.37 and 38, which is, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into his field. And, and so it was this moment for us where we got to realize, like, man, we were just praying selfishly, like, God, what would you have us do next? Like, send us somewhere cool. And then found out that by just taking those next steps of obedience, we were answering the prayers of an entire church that we had never met and we had never known. And so, if you could go to the next slide. As I look at this photo, I've shared this photo with like 2,000 people or something. Like, but when I look at it, there's two things that come to mind. One of them is in Jonah chapter 4. If you're familiar with the story of Jonah, he runs away from God's call. And that's kind of the, the main message of the book in some ways. Don't run because God's going to have his fish swallow you and make you do it anyways. Like, listen to him. But, but at the end of the book, he's disappointed. He's like, God, I want you to judge Nineveh. Like, these are evil, wicked people who are a threat to my nation. Why didn't you do something? And God's response to him is, shouldn't I have compassion for this great city with over 120,000 people who don't know their right hands from their left and also many animals too? And when I, when I look at this photo, I think, man, Shouldn't we have compassion for this great group of people numbering over 120,000 who don't know the difference between their left and their right hands? I mean, they, they're trying to seek God, but they don't know how. Like, shouldn't we have compassion? Shouldn't we desire to do something? And then I was going to end, but you totally stole my thunder. Like, how do we do this? Romans 10, what, what Rob had read earlier, like, man, how can people hear if someone doesn't go? And how can someone go if they aren't sent? And, and so, so the thing that I want to ask you guys is, is simply this. Like, be on mission. Like, it, it doesn't have to be with Katie and me. Of course, we would love that. We want to be in Birmingham as quick as possible. We need people praying for us. But if God is stirring your heart for something, for some people group, for somewhere, like, Man, be on mission. Pray relentlessly for it. Support people financially who are going to work there. Work in your own city to those ends. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they do that if they don't know who he is? And so I, I have one last slide, but um, yeah, I want to ask you, would you pray for the city of Birmingham, the little bit that you know about it right now? Particularly, I'm, I'm currently praying for the imam, which is um, basically like the, the Muslim pastor uh, of one of the local mosques. And, and so would you join me in praying that the pastor at the mosque on St. Stephen Street would come to know Jesus?
Would you meet with us to learn more if any of this interested you? Um, just so we, we can share a bit more about the city, about the work we'll be doing. And also physically join us. Like we, we have a bunch of opportunities. The UK is really easy to get to. They speak English. Um, but we, we have summer internships. We have two-year apprenticeships. Um, and, and so we'd love to have you join us if God moves your heart in that way. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you are a good and a loving and a kind God. Lord, thank you that you, uh, you have said that everyone who calls on your name will be saved. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile, that, that you desire for all nations and peoples and tongues to come and worship before you. Because, Lord, that includes us. We, most of us wouldn't know you if it wasn't for somebody who was sent, somebody who went out and shared. And so, God, would you move our hearts to be those people, to, to please you, to, to be moved by the love of Christ, which compels us. <laughs>